0: go because again the the command of jesus was to go into all the world making disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit knowing that what he was with us uh, every step of the way we said but before you go i use that example from the american express commercial don't leave home without it right is be prayerful about walking and living and moving in the holy spirit praying for fresh baptism and i can tell you this and and i i think at this point in my life um i become more and more aware of god's presence and his leading and his prompting you'll see as you study through uh, the book of acts the holy spirit is a person he speaks i was thinking of acts chapter 10 this morning i was just reading devotionally and i found myself there and cornelius came and the gentiles began to get saved and but it said that the holy spirit told peter It said and the holy spirit spoke to peter and we always think when somebody go hey and jesus told me but you don't hear very many people saying but the holy spirit told me the holy spirit spoke and that's such a great reminder the holy spirit is a person he's the third person of the trinity and the book of acts is all about the acts of not the apostles but the acts of the holy spirit working in and through the lives of the apostles and the disciples, which would lead all the way up to you and I today. And so I would find myself, by way of confession, every morning when I would wake up there in Hawaii, the first thing that I would pray is I go, God, today help me to walk in your Spirit. Help me to walk in your power, not my own power. And just because you pray that doesn't mean that it necessarily happens because life happens along the way as well. And I would lay down every night and I'd be laying in bed and, I, and some days I was convicted and I felt like, Lord, I just didn't do a good job. I felt like I wasn't really sensitive to your leading. I, I saw moments, things, but I remember growing up, I grew up in a football home. I played football. My dad was an athlete and... From my youngest days, all I wanted to do was play football. And I remember when I was really young, I played quarterback. And my dad was a quarterback, and that's why I wanted to be a quarterback. And I don't remember Johnny Unitas. Anybody remember Johnny Unitas? Yeah. And uh, Johnny Unitas was considered of his time. He was the Tom Brady, you might say, of his era, of his day. And they asked him one time in an interview, they said, Mr. Unitas, they said, have you ever... Played a perfect game. It seems like today you it was perfection, and Johnny Unitas and I'll never forget it. He said, "No," he said, "Today wasn't perfect at all." And he said, "I can tell you this though," he said, "The day that Johnny Unitas plays a perfect game will be the day that I retire from the NFL." And he goes because I will have reached the pinnacle of perfection. And he goes, but I can tell you this: I will never reach that place. And it always sticks with me as a believer because to live. a a perfect day that would be my hope and prayer i'd hope that it'd be yours that we could just it would be like heaven on earth right that every thought that you had would be of god every thing that came out of your mouth was of god every thing that you did was of god that you were just so aware of god's presence right and you go that would that's heaven on earth and i've never experienced that like i said but like you i've had moments where in this moment but i was more cognizant of it there in in maui because of the fact that there was so much need and like i said but i'd get to the end of the day and i thought i missed it here and i missed it here and you thank god for his grace and his mercy and, and there's no wasn't any condemnation at all it's just the realization that there's so much more that we can do and it's not doing things for god but it's allowing god to do it's like john the baptist would pray that i would decrease that he might increase right is that we get out of the way And and it's what I love about this study. I titled this morning's message, Life in the Spirit, because that's really what it's all about, is life in the Spirit. I want to read this verse to you, and then we'll pray. Remember in John 10.10, Jesus said, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. He said, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life, a rich and satisfying life. And it's so true that a rich and a satisfying life, Larry was praying that in worship, it's not in what you possess. It's not, I, I saw this week. We're there in Lahaina, and, and everything that people had is completely gone. And some people are still completely blessed. And you go, Because where's true life? And you think about today, and whether it's in your home and the things that you have, and so much of our identity can be in stuff and what Jesus is wanting to do is help us to understand that our identity, our true identity, is in him. As Paul would say, it's in him that we live and we move and we have our being. And so as we get into this today, to be reminded that Jesus' purpose was to give us a rich and a satisfying life. And I can tell you this, especially after being in Hawaii this last week, there there is no rich and satisfying life apart from Jesus Christ. You can reach for it but it'll never be there. It's like Solomon, the richest man that ever walked the earth, right? He said, it's all grasping at the wind. It's vanity. It'll just slip through your hands. And so there's much that the Lord would speak to us and we'll pray. And then we'll take a look at this. Father, we thank you for your love. Thank you for your life. Thank you for what you do in our life. And we pray this morning as we open up your word here in the book of Acts that you would, that you'd speak to us. And that god more than speaking to us you would transform us god that you would change us that we would change our mind lord that we would repent today as we learn really what that means to repent we probably look at that as being a negative thing and not realizing that it's a very hopeful word it's a very positive word and lord you want us to repent and there's so much blessing that comes with that and help our hearts to be open to you and all that you'd have for us today again i thank you so much lord for this church lord i know when we're away lord you just think of the people here and the ministry that goes on and the lives that are touched and changed so many that are that the lord live their life completely sold out for you and we're benefactors of that and i just say thank you today lord for calvary chapel bakersfield and the way that you use this church lord to minister your life and your love and lord today we just pray that, God, you'd knit our hearts together as we study, again, that you would encourage us, that you'd strengthen us, Lord, that you'd send us out from here, Lord, to touch a world that's in desperate need of you, that we wouldn't be grumblers or complainers about everything that goes on, but, Lord, that we would see the hope that there is in Jesus today, a real hope, uh, a hope that, that lasts forever, and that uh, you'd just help us to raise our gaze today, that we would look up into heaven and see that you are firmly seated, uh, on your throne. And everything, Lord, uh, from your perspective, is falling perfectly into place, Lord, as you prepare, Lord, to return to this earth and gather your church unto yourself. And Lord, may each and every heart, every home be prepared for that moment today that we've said, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Savior. And thank you for loving me and dying for me. And I've opened my heart to you, received you. And Lord, if there's anybody that has a God, Pray that God you'd reach them today, where they would surrender to you and experience eternal life, Lord. Really, the life that you came—that is rich and satisfying. That it's in you, and we thank you for that, Lord. As we pray, in Jesus' name, Amen. You look in verse thirty-six there in, in, in uh, Acts chapter two. Peter has been ministering, obviously, to the Jews there that were gathered in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, and he's using the Old Testament. He's speaking from the Psalms. He's going back to help them understand King David, who they love. Like I said, I, the first time I think I went to Israel, I got lost, and I was asking somebody for directions, and they said, what street are you on? I go, I don't know, something David. And the Jewish guy looks at me, he goes, every street in Jerusalem has got David in it. You've not helped me at all. And I'm like, and you start realizing that they love David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, and the favorite son. And Peter, being smart, he goes right back to that, and he's speaking from the Psalms. He's going, you're thinking when David said this, that he was speaking of himself. He goes, but he uses the word Lord or Yahweh, which is only a reference to God himself. And he goes, he couldn't fulfill this because he goes, obviously, David, he's in his tomb. They said, even to this day, he said, but this one, the one who's coming, he says, he's alive. He is resurrected from the dead. Death couldn't hold him. And they start, the wheels start turning. The Holy Spirit starts ministering. And they come to this conclusion that, oh, Jesus, this one, he could be, he is the promised Messiah. And so Peter says, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, he says, whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. And I I start off with a question here this morning. Who killed Jesus? Who killed Jesus? I want you to think about that. Who killed? killed jesus if you watch the movie the passion of the christ with mel gibson is regardless of what you might think of mel gibson he had one of those peter moments remember when jesus said to to peter he said who do people say that i am and peter said you're the christ the son of the living god and jesus said simon barjona flesh and blood hasn't revealed that to you but my father in heaven this was one of those divine moments I, i believe that mel gibson had one of those moments when he produced The Passion of the Christ. They asked him the question. They said, "Mel, did you have any role in the movie?" And he said, "Yeah, I had one role." And they said, "What was that?" And he said, "The scene where it shows the the arm with the armband on it holding the spike." He goes, "That was my arm." And the hand holding the hammer that that hit the nail going through Jesus' hand. He goes, "That was my hand." And you think of the, and the person doing the interview said, Why would you do that? And at that point, just like always, there's a lot of anti-Semitism in the world, right? And he said, because I want to be perfectly clear, it wasn't the Romans who killed Jesus. They might've carried out the act. And he goes, and it wasn't the Jews, even though they called for it. He goes, it was me. It was you. Because God, what, so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. He goes, it was my sin for what? He said, for the wages of sin is death and for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He goes, it was my sin that, that, that nailed Jesus to the cross there. And he goes, and I wanted to remind myself of that. And then the world, and you talk about a powerful statement. Like I said, when I heard it, I was like, I was talking to my wife about it, I go, man, that, he didn't know what he just did, I don't think, but I know God does. And it's so profound there. And it's, this is what Peter obviously is this doing at this moment. He goes, and you crucified the son of glory. And, and I love this because Peter isn't trying to bring condemnation here. We just studied the book of Romans, right? Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore what? Now no condemnation, there's no downward judgment. I'm teaching a, a class on Wednesday nights right now, free from your past, and it's built on that whole premise of Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And understand this, when Peter says this, he's not trying to condemn the people because if they don't believe in Christ, John chapter three, verse seventeen says, "You're condemned already for what? For not believing we're already under a death sentence. If you haven't received Jesus Christ, you're already going to hell. Jesus came to what to seek and to what save that which is what lost? yeah, Jesus came to redeem us to purchase us back to God, right? It was not like just clean us up a little bit. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. He makes us alive in Christ Jesus but what Peter was doing by, through the Holy Spirit was to bring conviction. There's a difference. Understand this, very simply put. Condemnation, you'll know what's the difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation, and every one of us knows what condemnation is. Condemnation is that, that sense, that feeling when you sin or you do something that's wrong, that does what? It draws you away from God. You know what I'm talking about? You blow it, you mess up, and you just go, oh, I'm just going to give up. Might as well just quit. God couldn't love me, can't forgive me, because what? I've done this. Jesus said, how many times should you forgive somebody in a single day? He used it just figuratively. Seventy times what? Seven, right? Four hundred ninety times. You do it a few times, and you just feel so worthless, right? That's condemnation, where you instead of going to God, as First 1 John 1, nine says, if we confess our sin to him, he's what? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we go, you know what? I've, I've done it one too many times. You ever done that? You ever messed up with the same sin that you just go, I'm just tired of going back to God. I know he doesn't forgive me. I, I know it. that's condemnation. Condemnation will always lead you away from God. Conviction, on the other hand, always draws you to God. Jesus said the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16 was given to convict the world of sin. It doesn't say to condemn the world. is to convict us. Exactly what's happening here. Peter's expressing the truth. He's telling them the truth. How, what is the truth? He said, my word is truth. He's using the word of God. You, you listen to people go, oh, I give you my opinion and I think this. And you go, quit doing that. Just give people the word of God. Just study the word of God. Know the word of God. Give people the word of God. Let the Holy Spirit do the work. He doesn't need my help. He doesn't need your help. Just let the lion out of the cage, so to speak, is all you got to do. When you let the lion out of the cage, what are people going to do? They're going to run. That's what we need to do. Just let him out. And so when we think about what Jesus has done, again, religion is what? Religion is always this constant state of do. You're always trying to do something to reach God. Christianity is God reaching down towards man through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? He didn't leave us hanging here. The, the cross, when Jesus hung there on the cross, is his, some of his final words are what? It is what? Finished. Your salvation is a, is a finished work because of the cross of Jesus Christ, and you can rest upon that. I love that book. It's an older book. How many ever read the book Evidence That Demands Averted by Josh McDowell? He's the Lee Strobel of another generation, right? And, and Josh McDowell, in evidence that demands a verdict, he goes, Jesus is one of three people. He's either a liar, and if he's a liar, he got everything that he deserved, right? Going to the cross, being beaten, because he said that he was God, right? And how dare he lied so he should die? He goes, or he's either, if he's not a liar, he's either a lunatic. What do you mean by lunatic? He's some deranged soul. He's lost his mind. And if he's lost his mind, he's a lunatic, we should what? We should have compassion on him, right? We shouldn't believe him. We should feel sorry for him, right? And some people do. You go, or he is who he claimed to be. And he's what? He's Lord. He's only one of those three things. He's a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. And here's Peter going, you guys claim that he was a liar. Some of you said that he was a lunatic, but the resurrection, because that's what it's all about. What separated Jesus from every other person, every other religious leader, was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not that Jesus died, right? Everybody dies. The Bible says it's appointed men to die and then meet God, face judgment. But Jesus rose again from the dead. That's what separated David there in the Psalms, Psalm 2, Psalm 22, the Messianic Psalms that you see there from everybody else, is that he rose again from the dead. And then Peter goes, and you, you crucified, and it brought conviction to their heart because all of a sudden they understood from the Word of God. It wasn't the power of persuasion. It wasn't that Peter was a great orator. It was the Word of God going forth, and it pierced their hearts. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and the spirit, between joy and morrow. It exposes, think about that, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires, the power of God's Word. That's why people want to—they want. They don't want the Bible to be in hotel rooms. They don't want the Bible to be in school. They don't want people to hear the Word of God. They want to outlaw Christianity. Why? Because the truth you'll know, and the truth will what? Set you free. Yeah. Verse 37 there in Acts 2, it says, And Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and the other apostles, Brothers, what should— we do. And so, again, what do we see here? The acts, not of Peter, but the acts of the Holy Spirit. Like I said, we don't need to wait for the Holy Spirit any longer. Pentecost has come, church. What we need to learn how to do, what I need to learn how to do every day of my life, is to learn how to wait on the Holy Spirit. On. Are you waiting on the Holy Spirit? Do you remember the last time you waited on the Holy Spirit? Because that's what we need to do. every single. Day of our life. He wants to lead us. Jesus said, He goes, I'll pray to the Father and the Holy Spirit will be with you and he'll be in you. Yes, he's in you. You can, he can be in you and not be leading you and guiding you if you're not aware of his presence. Or what does scripture say, quench not the Holy Spirit, or grieve not the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God. If you're not, if you're not aware that he's wanting to lead you, you're not in communion with him, you're not talking with him, you're not asking him to lead you. Trust me, I know how to get into my day without God at all. It doesn't change my, the fact that I'm saved. You go, why? Because it is finished, right? The cross. But I'll tell you what, where does he say pleasure is at? It's at the right hand of God. In his presence is pleasure. And so you look around and you look at the church day and there's so many people that are miserable. And you go, why? And you go, because they're not in the presence of God. It doesn't mean that they're not saved, but they're not enjoying the presence of God because they're not even aware of the presence of God. They're into church or they're into religion, or yeah, I believe in Jesus. You go, okay, but like James says, the brother of Jesus, he goes, so what is that doing for? You? Even the demons of hell believe. They're not very happy, but they believe in God. They know who he is. But what is it doing for you? Are you enjoying? That's what the book of Acts is all about is the person of the Holy Spirit in our life, the acts of the Holy Spirit. And it says, as the word of God, it wasn't the gifts. Remember, it wasn't that they were speaking in tongues. What did tongues do? When they spoke in tongues, what happened? It says it mesmerized the people, right? It got their attention and it drew them in. It's like sending up a flare, right? God used it as a flare, got their attention. So it was a 4th of July firework, you might say, and it got them to come. And then what transformed their life was the word of God, was the preaching of the gospel. If you look at Acts chapter 2, it's what happens starting in verse 14, all of a sudden the word starts going forth and it says and then their hearts they were pierced what did john sixteen eight like i was sharing with you it says and when he comes speaking of the holy spirit he will convict the world of its sin and god's righteousness and of the coming judgment again the holy spirit did the work what did peter do peter didn't even offer an invitation if you read this what did he do he offered a declaration he just said this jesus Again, he's just reading the Psalms, right? He's just telling you, hey, this is what God's word says. The Holy Spirit does the work in the person. The people went, what what, what must we do? It pierced their heart. That's the power of God's word. Trust the word of God. Again, because trust me in this, done it, failed miserably at it. If I can convince you of something, can somebody else come along behind me and convince you of something else? Yeah. But when the Holy Spirit convinces you, and it's God himself, then you can, because you can always go back, what? Again, I always love John Corson. If it's true, what? It's not new. And if it's new, guess what? It's not true. As we keep coming back, Peter trusted the word of God, that it was living, that it was active, that it was sharper than any two-edged sword. And how did Peter know that? Because if you go back to John chapter 18, remember Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane? You know? We have a, a Roman soldier there, and Peter does what with his sword? Cuts his ear off, right? meant to Jesus. You have got a picture of the scene there. Peter's going to defend Jesus, right? In Acts 18, 10, 11, it says, then Simon Peter, he slashes off the ear of this, this high priest slave. It says, but Jesus said to Peter, it says, put your sword back in its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering? That the Father has given me. So what is Peter trying to do? He's trying to prevent Jesus from going to the cross, right? And here's and Peter, because he lopped off the ear for the high priest's slave. What should have happened to Peter? Peter should have been what? Killed. And what does Jesus do? He he finds the ear on the ground and he walks over to the guy and does what? He puts it back on. Thank God that he did that. That's no little thing that he did. That saved Peter's life. Had that ear not gone back on that guy's head and been healed, Peter would have been killed. But it's hard to convict a guy whose ear got cut off, whose ear gets put back on, and there's no trace that the ear ever came off, right? You could say, he cut my ear off, and the guy's it's right there. No, he cut it off with his sword. It's right there. Get it. Like, you've been drinking, you've done something. And thank God. But again, Peter knows what it is to take a metal sword and to wield this thing in the wrong way. Now, all of a sudden now, what's he learning? is how powerful and effective the sword of the Spirit is, the Word of God. And may we learn that same lesson. Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the message about Christ and all of its richness fill your lives, teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts and be ready to give a reason. I love this. This whole last week, every single day, there was an opportunity. 1 Peter 3, 15. Instead, you know, again, we don't have to go out and say, like, oh, I got to go preach to people. I No, you don't have to preach in that regard. It says, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it just be ready. God's going to open up the door. You can walk into places and you can force the issue and you'll just walk away confused, defeated, bummed out. But man, when God opens up a door, when he He sends you to this person, it's like Cornelius and Peter going, one guy's praying, another guy's praying, the next thing, hey. You know, it's, what a beautiful thing when that happens. Verse 38 goes on and says, and Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of jesus this isn't a formula okay this is just how it happened here because we're going to see later in the book of acts it doesn't happen like this okay people look at this and go, okay here's the order how it has to happen no god can do anything he wants to do when he wants to do it it says but be baptized in the name of jesus christ for the forgiveness of your sins then you receive the gift of the holy spirit i always think about this when john the baptist preached he preached what he began his ministry by preaching repentance. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus began his ministry there, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Peter begins his ministry, what is he saying? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, And again, and I want you to think about this. What does the word repent mean? The word repent. To turn? To turn from what? That's the key. To turn from what? See, we'll go, oh, to turn from our sin, right? No, that's not what it's, that's not what it's declaring. Repent means to this, it's worse than that. <laughs> repent means to turn from your way of thinking. Repent from your way of thinking and turn to what? To God's way of thinking. So let me ask you do you need to repent today? Yeah. Does Pastor Mike need to repent today? Absolutely. Why? Because I have, I think about things all the time. And th- th- now you start to understand, why did Jesus teach when the disciples came and Lord, teach us to pray. We talk about prayer all the time, and we think, oh, I know how to pray. People go, you just need to talk to God. Just that's not, what, I'm, I'm, that's not what Jesus said. Oh, just talk to God. That's prayer. I don't think that's, did Jesus say that? When they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus go, hey, just talk to God. Just say whatever you want to say. Did, did Jesus say that? No, but that's what we tell people, right? Oh, it's just talking to God. No, it isn't. Jesus said, when you pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, holy be your name. See God for who he is, right? Come to God in in the right manner. And and again, you don't even see an I or a my or mine in the Lord's prayer. It's always we, ours, us, right? It's community. It's always about community. But people are like, Lord, I do this. I want this. Jesus didn't teach us to pray like that. Because your father already knows what you have need of, even before you even ask him. Turn, repent, turn from your way of thinking. He said, we pray, not my will, but what? Thine be done, right? Oh, it starts to make sense then. Repent, turn from your way of thinking to God's way of thinking. Now, how are you going to know God's way of thinking? What does Paul say? Hey, we have the mind of what? Of Christ. Where do we get the mind of Christ? Through the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. Who what? Who lives in us and does what? quickens the Word of God. Now, I have people say, well, you have to know the Word of God for the Holy Spirit to quicken the Word of God. No. The Holy Spirit knows the Word of God. When it says the Holy Spirit will convict you, who who knows the Word of God? He knows the Word of God, right? Have you been convicted about things that you never even thought about being convicted of? You go, it wasn't because you knew about it, it's because you had the Holy Spirit. That's the beauty of it. He knows. Now, does it help? Yes, because we have an enemy of our soul that wants to bring what? Condemnation, right, in our life. Downward judgment that doesn't exist because of the cross, that it is finished, right? You go, but he wants to bring conviction. He wants us to repent constantly of turning from our way of thinking to God's way of thinking. So when it's turn, it doesn't mean just turn. We think of 180, like we have a ministry, 180. It's not just turn to something else because I, I see that. I used to work in the beverage industry and I, I signed up, was it Al Anon or whatever in Bakersfield? I saw a bunch of cars, like 300 cars out in front of this building. I thought, hey, this would be a good place for a Pepsi machine. So I walk in there and there. There was tons of people in there. And I walk in and there was, back then, this was in the 80s, there was smoke in this room. Everybody was cigarette smoking, right, inside the building. And it was like being in a fire. I could see when I walked in, because it was bigger than this sanctuary. And there was a layer about this high from the floor up that was clear. And the rest of it was smoke. And I was like looking at it, man, I hated, I hate the smell cigarette smoke. It just, it's repulsive. So I walk in there and I go, what is this place? And the guy goes, hey, this is an Alcoholics Anonymous group. And I go, and I'm thinking to myself, I go, man, I go, all they did was give up one one addiction for two more. They gave it up for cigarettes and coffee. I had never seen so much coffee being poured out at one time. It was just like the Coffee pots all across the thing. It was like, wow. And you go, but we go, but this is a socially acceptable addiction, right? So you smoke and you drink so much coffee, you're just like this all day long. And you go, that's our world. You go, but Jesus came to what? To set us free, right? To be free in Him. So it's not just turning from one thing to another. And people go, oh, that's good. You go, no, it's turning from your way of thinking, my way of thinking to God. And again, we cannot miss that. And you think about the Jordan River. And why did Jesus baptize at the Jordan River? And why was Jesus baptized at the Jordan River? Why did John baptize at the Jordan River? Why did the Jews baptize at the Jordan River? Go back and study the Jordan River. What was the Jordan River? It was the crossing over of what? From the wilderness into what? The promised land, right? So that was significant. So when you preached repentance, what you would do is you would tell the Jews, you'd go, you need to go back over on the other side and cross over again. You need to come back over, just like Joshua led the children of Israel into the promised land. You need to go back over and say, hey, I'm not going to live like my my fathers in the wilderness that, what, rebelled against God, but I'm going to cross over into this promised land where God is going to lead me and guide me. He's going to fulfill his word, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jesus in, in the New Testament, that, what, God would take my heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh. Amen? Wow, how powerful is that? So everything's significant in the Scripture. It's not just there. There's, it's there for a purpose. There, there's, a, there's a lesson. There's a meaning behind it. And, it. and it's so rich that he has for us. And so that repentance is always turn from your way of thinking, turn from your way of doing to the way of God. And you can't know the way of God apart from the Word of God. You cannot know the way of God apart from the Holy Spirit of God in our life and our leading and our guidance. Otherwise, like I said, we'll get through the course of our day You look back on your day, just like I do mine, and you go, God, I wasn't even aware. I'm like Jacob. You go, I wasn't even aware of your presence in this day. Surely the Lord was in this place, and I knew it not. It has nothing to do with your salvation. You are saved because of the finished work of the cross. But I can tell you this, you will not enjoy the presence of God, the pleasures of God, until you walk with God, until you're aware of his presence and that's why this whole book the book of acts is all about the acts of the holy spirit in our life and so as they cross over again i love jesus in isaiah 61 when he stood up to minister for the very first time he said he fulfills this this prophecy said the spirit of the lord in isaiah 61 1 he said the spirit of the sovereign lord is upon me for the lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor he has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. To think about that, man, the beauty of the Holy Spirit, to take our hearts of stone and give us a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36, 26, he says, and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. God's fulfilling his word here in Pentecost. He says, I will take out your stony, stubborn heart, and I'll give you a tender, responsive heart. Do you need that today? It happens through the person of the Holy Spirit. He says, and I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. I think it's very clear as we look at Acts chapter 2 here. God wants to lead our life. He wants us to serve the risen Savior, the living Lord. Verse 39, it says, and this promises to you and to your children, I love this, and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. We're going to see that throughout the, the book of Acts here. And so Peter is looking back, obviously, to verse 17 there, and he's regarding that prophecy in Joel, and he's saying, this is now available to you, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Joel chapter 2, verse 28, it says, then after doing all these things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. What is it? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world, that God is he's omnipresent in the person of the Holy Spirit. And because of Jesus, what? All men can be saved. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord, Romans 10, 9, and 10, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved for it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. And it says, verse 40 in Acts 2, goes on, it says, then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Verse 41 goes on, it says, then those who believed what Peter had said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 and all, and I shared this with you know on the day that obviously Moses gave the law back in the Old Testament, three thousand souls died, which demonstrates to us what the letter of the law does—what it kills. But here on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit is poured out, it says the letter of the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. It's not a coincidence. Three thousand souls died. What do they do? They fashion a golden calf. Right, Moses is up on the mountain. Aaron's down there with the people, and they're going, they're into idol worship, and God goes through the camp, and boom, 3,000 souls die. On the day of Pentecost, though, when the Spirit is poured out, where the Spirit of God is, there's liberty, it says that 3,000 souls were saved. Yeah, the letter of the law kills, the Spirit giveth life. And it says, and all believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, and that included the Lord's Supper and to prayer. People go, hey, Pastor Mike, what is the vision? For calvary chapel this is the vision right here we don't have a vision mission apart from what the bible says you can cute it up and make it whatever you want it to be you go but if you're going to be a new testament church this is what your life is going to be about whether it's children's ministry and we go if vanessa wants to look at hey how am i doing children's ministry you go what are you doing to ensure that these kids are not learning your doctrine or my doctrine but they learn what the apostles doctrine the teaching of the new testament in particular uh, to these children, you go, we're teaching them doctrine. what about fellowship? It's life on life that they're around other people. they've got adults, they've got young adults that are mentoring them, modeling a faith that's real, they're in fellowship together, the breaking of bread that can be having a whether it's a sharing a meal together, you know, they have snack time. What kind of snacks do you have over there? What is it? Fish crackers, see little fish crackers, that's right. So they have those, and they do they enjoy snack time? Yeah, see, they enjoy fellowship. You're teaching them how to break bread, and then also communion. That, that includes communion, and then prayer, praising God, looking to God, thanking God, doing that. You go that; those are the marks of a New Testament church. If your church isn't involved with those four things, you probably should find another church because that is what the church, and it, and really, and the healthier the church is, the more balanced they are in all four of those activities: the teaching of God's word, the fellowship coming together, the breaking of bread. And prayer, praying with and for one another, and watch what the Lord does. I was—I like what David Guzik in his commentary said. Every pastor should speak to be un- should excuse me. Every pastor should seek to be unoriginal. I love that. He says, in the sense that we don't have our own doctrine, but the apostles' doctrine has yeah, to teach the word of God. As Pastor Chuck would say, teach the word of God simply. Simply teach the word of God simply. No, that's what we need to do. Again, that Greek word koineia there, again, means what? Coming together, right? But you think about it, it's not just coming together, but I like what one commentator said, a powerful example of koineia, what it should look like to be found in a study of the phrase one another in the Bible. Scripture commands us to be devoted to one another, to honor one another, to live in harmony with one another, to accept one another, to serve one another in love to be kind and compassionate to one another, to admonish one another, to encourage one another, to spur one another on towards love and good deed, to offer hospitality, and to love one another. And again, that's what biblical koinonia looks like. We are the body of Christ. Like I said, every one of us has a different gift, a unique gift. We're like snowflakes, if you understand that from science. There's no two flakes that are alike, right? that can apply to people too. No two flakes are alike. And I meant that as a compliment, not, not as an insult. But 1 Corinthians 12, 27, Paul says, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. And so I ask you today, especially with regard to our homes, our homes, is your home, is it a hospital or is it a museum? Is it a hospital or is it a museum? God always intended that the that, that, the church would be what? A hospital for hurting people. Jesus came, said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost, that we would open up our homes. You, and you think about this, why was hospitality? I shared this with you a couple of weeks ago. Why is it so important? Do you entertain strangers in your home? In, in a very arid society, obviously they didn't travel during the day because it was too hot. So they traveled at night. So you understand the parable where the guy shows up in the middle of the night and starts knocking on the door going, hey, I've got visitors Give me some bread, right? You go, why was that? They go, because that was common in Jesus' day. That's when they showed up in the middle of the night. They would knock on your door and go, hey. And then it's a beautiful thing for somebody to knock on your door because what it says is that you're inviting. You're inviting and that you would invite them in. Jesus says the same thing, right? Revelation chapter 3. Behold, what? I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. He says, my father and I. He goes, you'll open the door, he says, we'll come in and we'll sup with you. We'll make your heart our home. And there's an invitation in fellowship is that our, our homes, are they hospitals? Or are we allowed? that The early church didn't have a church for almost a hundred years. They had the temple in Solomon's porch, but where did they meet? It says daily from house to house. They opened up their hearts. They opened up their homes. They took people in and they cared. They broke bread together. They They shared life together. And for the purpose of what? Of seeing people restored. And, and it's such a, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, it, it happened yesterday. Um, Bill Atkins and I, uh, part of our group, they wanted to go down to the beach uh, before we left. And, and so uh, Jeff, who was the leader from Calvary Chapel, Chino Valley, uh, he comes in uh, Friday. So we went to dinner Friday night with our group and we took him with us. And Ron, the guy who fed us all week, just to appreciate him. And uh, then yesterday morning, uh, Jeff was with us and we went to, to breakfast. We were sitting around there and just asking him questions and he was sharing. And so Bill and I got up to leave and Jeff stood up and this is what he said. He goes, we just broken bread. You could say we had fellowship together. We were sharing the gospel and you could hear there's people sitting around us and man, it was just a fun, fun time. And he stood up and he gave me and Bill a hug and he said, isn't this amazing? And he's all happy. He goes, Less than twenty four hours ago, we didn't even know each other, and he goes, "But I feel like I've known you my whole life." He goes, "Isn't that just cool? How Jesus does that, right? That we've just we're knit together." And we were laughing because we go, "Yeah, it was like it was like we were just catching up with a friend that we've known forever." But that's the beauty of God because He's the one who's knit our lives together, and to have that kind of fellowship, that the body of Christ. Again, as Paul said, "Only we need to look at people one of two ways: they're either." saved or they're unsaved if they're not saved is to share the gospel to get them saved and if they are saved to share jesus love with them to what to encourage them hey this is a tough world right this is a hard world we live in and to be there for one another the church should be the best thing that's going on in the world and again like i said the church in the truest sense the the church coming together wasn't for the non-believer what we should be doing is the church coming together being built up and then look at look around the sanctuary we had five, basically, people working in a warehouse that lived there in, in Maui that were impacting an entire community. It doesn't take a lot of people. You're going to be around a whole bunch of non-Christians this week. Are you going to be led of God's Spirit in the conversations? Can, I ask you, when was the last time you led somebody to Jesus? Or have you led somebody to Jesus? And you can't say that's not your job. If you're a Christian, it is your job. You are a light that's set on a hill that can't be hidden. You're the salt of the earth. God wants to use you to minister to people. There's no greater joy in this life than to be about God's business. Like I said, I'm going through a whole community where everything's burnt to the ground. You can't take it with you. Jesus said, seek first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other things will be added unto you, right? Store up your treasures in heaven, right? Where neither moth nor rust can destroy. Thieves can't break in and steal. Can't burn down in a fire. It's all there being kingdom-minded, eternally minded. And to see that, again, so much. And then it says in verse 43, it says, a deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Awe. What is it? It was like a reverential fear. They saw a movement of God, and it gripped their hearts. It says, and all the believers met together in one place, and they shared every thing they had. It wasn't communism. It was communism. I saw this. One of the beautiful things in Hawaii, people were just shipping their stuff that they had from their homes. They were just shipping it to Hawaii. We had a transport plane, a 747 that was sent from the Venetian resort in Las Vegas. The owners gave their plane, okay? They said when it arrived there in Hawaii, they go, please don't take any photos inside the plane. And they go, because this thing is filled to the gills. It probably violates every FAA regulation on loading. Because they go, there's a need that was tremendous. They go, you can have the plane loaded. This thing, and and talk about an amazing testimony. They said this at the airport. These guys that get paid to unload planes, right? They said to the group, they go, we have never seen a plane get unloaded this fast. They go, we've never seen it. Bunch of Christians just... Jumping on this thing, men and women alike, our girls, Ariel, she she was the smallest, so they crammed her up inside. It has rooms inside this plane. They put her in a room. She's throwing the boxes out so they can get them out of the plane. They go, man, we've never seen this happen so fast. People working together. It says they all, they met together in one place and they shared everything that they had. And that's what is touching the hearts of the people in Maui today. People are just giving up of themselves. They're giving their own stuff, they're going, hey, we, we, let's give this up because they have nothing. And so no, there was no legality in it. There's no, oh, you have to do this. It, it was just people in their hearts move, go, you know what? Man, let's help these people. It's so sad. People that were living in a house one day, and the next day, they're one person in their family's living in this hotel, they're, somebody else in their family's living in another hotel, they are totally displaced. They have nothing except the hope that comes with people that know Jesus and and then show that love, and that's how they'll rebuild. I mean, and they say it every day. They go, I can't believe it, and thank you. There are so many churches on the ground there. There's city service, Samaritan's Purse, Calvary Chapel Relief. There's so many different organizations that are there. There's just white pickup trucks driving all through Maui that different people are just showing up. They go, even before, FEMA is can be a great thing, but FEMA is a big operation organization. They say, but man, as soon as it happened, it said the church responded. The church, it was Christians, people moved by the spirit of God. And we can all do that through the course of our week. It says, and they sold their property in verse 45 and possessions. They shared all the money with those that were in need. Think about this as a, I look this up, stats on storage units in America. There's an estimated 23,404,300 individual storage units in the, in, in the United States. That's 10% of the population at a tune of $88 a month. That's a lot that's tied up in what? That we're storing stuff. How much we throw away? Get this one. This is a 2017 study by William and Mary. It finds the average American consumer spends roughly $1,300 per year on food that ends up being wasted. And they said that, to put it in context, it said that this was 2017 study. It said spent more annually on wasted food than they did on vehicle gasoline, which was $1,250, on apparel, which was $1,207, household heating and electricity, which was 1149 on property taxes, which was 1046 and says in household maintenance repairs, that were 936 on a single-person household. You go, wow, <laughs> that's, that's a lot. And again, great reminder, you'll never see a Hertz pulling a U-Haul. So they worshiped together, verse 46, at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Again, people don't always remember what we say, but they'll always remember how we make them feel. And then verse 47, and it ends with this, it says, And all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Reminds me of Psalm 133, how wonderful and pleasant it is when the brothers, live together in harmony, for harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and on the border of his robe. Harmony is the refreshing as the dew of Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And it says, and it's there that the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. You know, what happens when the church comes together and commits itself to the apostles' doctrine, to their fellowship, To the breaking of bread and prayer, and you go, Lives are changed. Lives are transformed. God is glorified. People are edified, and the world gets reached for Jesus. And so, again, keep on keeping on the things that you're doing with regard to those four things in your life and where you're maybe lacking today in those. Look for an opportunity to go deeper into those. Again, there's no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. You put your hope and trust in Jesus, you're saved. But are you enjoying? the fullness of life, joy, he says, is at your right hand, right? Pleasures evermore come from what? The presence of God. And the joy, church, is, is that we can enjoy the presence of God, whether your house is burned down, whether you're healthy, whether you're sick, whether it's a good day or a bad day, because what? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And nothing, absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for this book as we get to walk through it. We pray that, Lord, you would use it to change us and to transform our lives. And Father, we pray that you'd have your way in each of our lives this week. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fall on this church today, that you'd fall on me, on us. Every heart, every home that's Lord represented today, that we would sense, Lord, your presence in our life, that we would experience your power, the power of your word, the power of your spirit, Lord, working in us, that, Lord, you would remind us of the victory that we have because of Jesus. And as Paul would say, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead works in us mightily, that we'd be aware of that. And Lord, by invitation, that God would wake up every day this week, every morning, and we'd say, Lord, I don't want to get ahead of you. I don't want to walk far behind you. I want to walk with you side by side, because that's, Lord, what you desire. Just the same way that you led the children of Israel through the wilderness as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, we have it so much better. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And may we not take that for granted, Lord. May you grant to us today and throughout this week the gift of repentance, Lord, where we can change our mind, the hope that we have in that word That God, we can quit doing things our way and we can do them your way. And you've given us your word. It says it's of itself. It's a lamp to our path. It's a light to our feet. And as we walk with you, you'll illuminate what you have for us. And Lord, go before us, lead us and guide us. Use us today. Thank you for TWC. Thank you for the opportunity for every person who's working there today to just express your love to people that are in need. And we thank you for need. We thank you that there's people in our city who have need, because it gives us an opportunity to serve them and to love them Lord, to care for them. But God, we'll run into people all throughout this week. And may we not just throw stuff at them. It's real easy to go, here's a couple bucks, go buy yourself a hamburger. Maybe we'd take it a step further and say, hey, you want to come over for dinner? I want to come into my home. Because Jesus, that's what blows us away with regard to you, that you said, no longer do I call you slaves, but I call you friends. For a slave doesn't know master's doing but i've told you all things that you're with us and lord may we have your heart for the people of our city and the people around this world help us to be a people who pray lord this week who seek your face who seek your will thy kingdom come lord thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven we pray in jesus name amen amen church on by to stand